of him today. Aren't you glad that we serve a God that knows how to rescue? Amen. We're glad you're here. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, welcome to the place I worship. One of the places I worship. I worship at home, in the car, at Walmart. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me today to the book of Genesis, the 12th chapter, and uh, starting with verse 1. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country. Everybody say it with me. Get out. Yeah. Say it like you mean it. Okay. Get thee out of thy country. You've had practice, haven't you? Okay. And from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your word. We ask you, God, to have your way here today. We yield ourselves to you, Father, Lord, and empty ourselves and ask you to fill us up. Lord, we want you to have your way in our lives. And so we just invite you to do that today in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you, if you would, to say this with me. I want to leave a thought with you this morning on leaving for the blessing. Would you say that with me? Leaving for the blessing. How many of you know that sometimes when you leave, it's a blessing? How many of you have ever been someplace and when you left, you were thankful you left? How many of you have ever experienced a blessing when somebody else left? You know what I'm talking about? Leaving is a blessing. And so we're talking about leaving for the blessing. There's a story of, well, it's actually, it, it happened in 1991. It was the Super Bowl game, and the Buffalo Bills were playing the New York Giants. Buffalo Bills hadn't had a major sports championship since 1965. That day, the game went back and forth, and it was close, and time was winding down on the clock, and the Bills made a drive down the field and wound up at the New York Giants' 29-yard line with just enough time to run one last play. So they called out Scott Norwood. Scott Norwood was an all-pro leading scorer of the team. He was their kicker. He had successfully completed 32 out of 37 field goal attempts in one season. He had done five that season from that very yard line, from the 29-yard line, and they needed him to do number six. Scott came out. He shut the crowd out of his mind. He silenced his thoughts, and he began to focus on what he knew how to do best, and that was kick. He lined up his trajectory, walked through it in his mind, got himself ready, and when they snapped the ball, he followed through, kept his head down, kicked the ball up, continued to follow through with it. He heard the crowd screaming, and when he looked up, he realized that it was the New York Giants that were screaming. He missed the field goal. He walked around for days with that 
in his head and couldn't shake it. And it just really got to him that he had lost the game for the team. And so he, you know, was wrestling with it. And, well, they wanted to honor the team because they'd made it to the Super Bowl. So they had a big event at a venue there were like 25 to 30,000 people that showed up. They built a big stage and the whole team was on the platform and Scott had made his way to the back of the platform behind the rest of the players. And the civic leader was giving a speech when all of a sudden without explanation in the crowd there started to rise a chant. We want Scott. We want Scott. We want Scott. We want Scott. And it got louder and louder until the civic leader had to quit speaking. And he turned around and looked, and all of Scott's teammates were taking him and trying to usher him to the front. Scott wasn't real excited about going up there. He didn't know if they were going to tar and feather him or what they were going to do to him. And once he made it to the front of that platform, that entire, that, that entire crowd stood up and began to give him a standing ovation because they hadn't forgotten everything that he had done right for that team. And not one kick does not take you out of the game. I said that to say this, that a lot of times we have to learn how to leave behind our failures. Because if we don't, the devil keeps trying to scoot them along with us and he, he stifles us and he paralyzes us and we never get to the place that God intended for us to be because we're carrying this with us. Somebody say, leave it behind. Leaving for a blessing. Sometimes you just have to learn how to walk away from things to get a blessing. Now, God promises Abraham a powerful blessing. I want to take a look at the blessing. I want you to see this because he speaks it to him in five different ways. He tells them, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make, he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to cause you to be a blessing. And then I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. Wow. How many of you would feel like that was quite an honor to know that all the families of the earth would be blessed through your seed? I mean, wouldn't that get your attention? And it would end up happening for Abraham through Christ that came through his seed and brought salvation to the world. But before Abraham could experience these blessings, God instructed him that there were some things that he was going to have to leave behind for the blessing. Everybody say country, kindred, and father's house. These are the things that God instructed Abraham to walk away from. How many of you have ever had to walk away from something? Sometimes maybe you didn't really want to walk away from it. How many of you ever found yourself addicted to Pac-Man? <laughs> you're playing it in your sleep. You know, there, look, there's, there's more addictions than just drug addiction. And so we can get addicted to anything, can't we? There's some things that we have to learn how to walk away from. 
So let's take a look at what God asked Abraham to walk away from and what that means for us and symbolizes for us today. The first thing he instructed him to leave was his country. Everybody say country. The country symbolizes the old neighborhood or the place you grew up at. You can't continue to hang around the same old places. If you want God to do a new thing, you need to find a new place for him to do it in. If you were, and how many of you understand that sometimes when you're hanging around those old places, they end up pulling you down? They'll, they'll destroy you if they can. And so to symbolize this for you, I want to take you to the birth of Christ. Wise men come and they find out where he's at. And when they find him, they worship him. But then as they got ready to leave, they're instructed by God to leave a different way than you came. Don't go through the same neighborhood you just came through. Go home a different way. And then he multiplies that by speaking to Joseph. And God tells Joseph, you get out of this place. You get up from here. This was Joseph's homeland. It was the old neighborhood. It's where he's from. And he instructs Joseph, you get up out of this place. Take your wife and take the child because they're going to try and destroy him. How many of you know that if you don't get out of a place, it'll not just destroy you. It can destroy your family. So you have to leave the old neighborhood. Everybody say, leave the neighborhood. He tells him to leave his kindred. Now, I understand that kindred can mean relatives, but kindred has another, another definition of way. How many of you have ever heard the saying that they have a kindred spirit? What that's really saying is that they think the same way. They have the same way of thinking. And how many of you know for you to get the blessing of God, you're going to have to leave your old way of thinking behind? You can't, you, you cannot, can, you know, people think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm giving my life to God, you know, and, and, and they think they can just keep doing the same thing, thinking the same thoughts, going through the same routine. It's not going to happen. Those thoughts will destroy you. You've got to get it out of your head. How many of you have ever had something get in your head before that you knew was wrong? Yes. Oh, come on. You know, you ever, you ever had it, you, you ever have somebody do something for you and you thought about waiting for them? I'm probably the only, well, I know, no, I don't think that way now. Not much. No, okay, no. What I'm saying is those thoughts, that's a constant battle. You have to learn how to bring those thoughts into captivity. The Scripture said that we bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of God. Do you know that when we weigh our thoughts against the Word of God, the Word of God becomes a measuring stick, a true north for us, and so it helps us navigate our way? Somebody say, get rid of the old way of thinking. Look at Romans 12 and 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know to learn, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Look, this last week, President Biden signed an executive order to let boys participate in girls' sports. I want you to think about the repercussions of this. So now, and, and, and you know, that's bad enough in grade school, but we're talking about moving to college and opportunities that are being robbed. 
I talked to a college coach, and they said that just destroyed collegiate, collegiate athletics for girls. Because now a boy that's not good enough to make the girl or to make the guys varsity team can try out for the girls team and steal scholarships from your daughters because now they're allowed to play girls basketball and then shower with the girls in the locker room after the game's over. What kind of thinking is that? What kind? That's twisted, man. I'm telling you, that is not the mind of God. So God is saying you've got to separate yourself from that way of thinking. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. And if we don't shine a light, who's going to shine it? This isn't about being a Republican or a Democrat. This is about being a child of God and saying, I'm going to stand for the word of God no matter who's standing against it. They, we, listen, don't let me forget to tell you. I want to tell you an experience I had this past week with a man by the name of Brother Walls, but I want to share it at the end of the service. So if I start to forget it, somebody starts yelling, Willard Walls. <clears throat> so it's, it's about changing the way of thinking. You know, when my brother was in uh, growing up, my brother got involved in drugs. I grew up in a place that wasn't very nice. It was called Valley View. It, it, it set five miles outside of St. Charles, Illinois, and it was known as Little Chicago. People didn't want to come down there at night. I watched, I, I, as a child, as a child, I watched them mace a man out, out in front of my house to, to get him in a squad car, I watched another man square off against police officers with a baseball bat. The guy that lived in the apartment across the street was prostituting his wife out for his heroin habit. It was all around me. My brother and my sister got involved in it, and I saw what it was doing to my family, and I hated it. With a passion, I hated it. I grew up like a bottle of 7-Up, never had it, never will. But understand what I'm saying, because the anger that was inside of me became as bad as the drug that was inside of them. And I grew up with such a hatred that in my mind, everybody say my way of thinking, in my mind, I was, I'd made up my mind that when I got old enough, I was going to be like Clint Eastwood in Dirty Harry and say, go ahead, make my day. And I was going to clean up the neighborhood, and the way I had in mind of cleaning up the neighborhood wasn't very Christian-like. Until God got a hold of me. <laughs> you you got to understand this because if God doesn't get a hold of you, your way of thinking is not going to change. You cannot change yourself. It takes the power of a living God uh, to transform you. Uh, so don't take your salvation lightly. Uh, don't take it for granted uh, and begin to say, here I am, God. Let me tell you what I saw God do. I watched God get a hold of my brother at a little street that was down the church that they literally tried to burn down. They threw a Molotov cocktail through a window. They burnt the evangelist trailer, his motorhome. They threw a Molotov cocktail through his motorhome, set it on fire, burnt his motorhome up. Thank God he wasn't in it at the time. It wasn't a nice place. But in that place, God showed up. I'm telling you, there's not a place this side of Hades that God cannot step into and pull you out of. You serve a powerful God, a powerful, loving, caring God. He 
rescued my brother. He pulled him out and he saved him. And that had such a huge impact on me. Because I knew Daryl and I saw what God did for my brother. And that's what made me want God to do it for me too. Don't let go. Don't let go because you can be so close to your breakthrough. There's a story of a woman that her husband wasn't saved and she'd been trying to get him to go to church for years and he kept refusing. He was in the bar every Saturday night and she tried to get him to go to church Sunday morning. He tried to get her to go to the bar Saturday night and there was a standoff. Nothing was, nobody was given in. And so finally, years passed by. Finally, his hus- her husband said to her, said, look, honey, if you'll go to the bar with me this Saturday night, I'll go to church with you Sunday morning. She thought about it, and she thought, you know, I've tried all these years to get him to go, and he just hasn't gone. And so she agreed to it, and she went to the bar, and she didn't drink any alcohol. She had a Coke, and, you know, and she, you know, she didn't participate in all the, you know, bebopping or hip-hopping or whatever that stuff was that was going on in there. And so Sunday morning, she jumps up excited. She gets ready, and she says, come on, honey, get ready. It's time to go to church, and he doesn't move. And he says, come on. She said, come on, honey. It's, it's time for us to go to, to church. She said, you're just going to go to church with me. And he, he, he looked at her, and he rose up, and he said, you know what? He said, last night, he said, I made up my mind. He said, you, you had been so adamant, and you'd stood so faithful and strong, and you'd never go to the bar with me, and you were always going to church and always asking me going to church. He said, I made up my mind last night that I was going to ask you one last time, and if you refused me again, then I knew that there was something real to what you had, and I was going to go to church with you. He said, but you went with me last night, so I won't be going with you. We give in at the point of breakthrough. There is no compromise with God. There is no, no, well, you know, I'm going to howl Friday night and act like a saint Sunday morning. It's a miserable life to do that. At 18, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd come to the Lord when I was younger at around 12 and had seen things happen, other things happened that caused me to get out of church. I was looking at other people. But then at 18, I got between a rock and a hard place, and I was going to church and going down here to Cuckoo's. How many of you remember Cuckoo's? Going down to Cuckoo's on Saturday night, you know, and, and I was miserable. And I thought, I can't keep doing this. Something's got to change for me. And I remember getting down and praying. I said, God, I've either got to serve you with everything I've got or I can't serve you at all. And I said, God, I want to serve you. And it was that moment that I made my mind up. I I quit thinking the old way. And I'm telling you that God stepped into my life. and Look, he he had saved me before, but I was still wrestling with my mind. I was still, I was still, not I, I wasn't how many of you have ever done this like in a pool yeah. I had like one foot in and I swimming <laughs> can't swim too well like that I mean it's kind of like you know you either got to get in or get out and I finally man when I, 
when God touched my life, it changed me. And I knew that he was real. And I didn't even think the same way anymore. Everybody say, I need a mind change. When we allow God to come into our heart, it will change the way we think. And until we start thinking differently, we're not going to be different. Every day. I mean, you don't, this isn't a thing where you give your head to God one day and then you think that's enough, you know, and, and then, you know. No, man, every day you've got to continue to give your mind to God. How many of you have, you don't have to tell what it is, but how many of you have the devil attack your mind from time to time? Anybody? I mean, and he'll come up with some doozies, won't he? He'll put some stuff in your head, and then after he put it in your head, he's got the audacity to accuse you and say, I can't believe you're thinking like that. You're supposed to be a Christian. I'm thinking, look, Jack, you're the one that put the thought in my head. Don't be trying to give me a guilt trip. Get behind me, and law Father, I submit to you and surrender to you. He said, resist, submit yourself, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil, and he's got to flee. Everybody say flea. flea. You know what a flea is? It's a pest. Parasite that'll suck the blood out of you and make you itch. I bought a cat. I'm not going to go there. The last thing he tells him to get rid of or to, to separate from to leave is his father's house. Everybody say father's house. Father's house symbolizes old relationships. How many of you ever were in an old relationship that wasn't good for you and you knew it wasn't good for you, but it was really hard to walk away from? It's kind of like Lay's. Remember that commercial? Those of you that are old enough, you can't just eat one. Well, just one more chip and that's, and I'm... No, don't call me anymore. You've got to cut it off. You've got to walk away from it because if it, you don't, it will end up destroying not just you, but it can destroy your family. Everybody say old relationships. You need to understand that everybody is not going to serve God. As much as we want them to, they're not going to do it. The other thing is, everybody doesn't want you to do it either. And so they want to try and keep you from it. You remember me telling you about my brother getting saved, and his friends would try and keep him from it. They'd, say, they'd go and say, come on, Daryl, let's go party, and we'll go to church with you the next day. And they, and they kept trying to talk him into that, and Daryl said, you know, I thought about it one time, and he said, but... You know, the Lord spoke to me. He said, don't cast your pearl before swine. Don't, don't get lured into a pit. Don't allow the devil to deceive you into getting involved in something that ultimately is going to destroy you. Separating from old relationships. Everybody say old relationships. You don't let them get control of you. Look at David. David is been instructed by his dad to go out and check on his brothers in the battle. He goes out there, and 
God sets it up that David shows up on the battlefield the same time Goliath comes walking out. Now, this rascal is nine foot and nine inches tall. He carries a spear that the head of the spear is 15 pounds. I'm a very, what what kind of a person am I? I'm I'm a very, I'm a, I, I want to see it. Everybody say, see it. So when I studied this, I took a 15 pound weight and tied at the end of a broom handle. I grabbed, try this guys. I went, I, I went, I, I, I grabbed hold of the broom handle at the back end of the broom handle, like you would, you know, when you're throwing a spear. Man, it was bending my wrist over. Do you realize how much force there is when you've got 15 pounds out here and you're trying to hold it like that? This guy handled it like it was nothing. The armor he wore weighed 150 pounds. And he, he, he navigates in this. He goes out, 150 pounds on his back. He goes out to do battle that way. And when he stepped onto the battlefield, the whole army of Israel started backing away. (laughs) Except one shepherd boy that had just showed up. And he saw what was going on and he stepped out and he said, Hey, what will be done to the guy that gets rid of that giant? Who does he think he is anyway to find the armies of a living God? Something got stirred up in David's heart. I'm telling you, if God be for you, who my friend can be against you? When you make up your mind that you're going to serve God, you, my friend, get a hold of the lion of the tribe of Judah, and it's time to let the lion roar. When Eliab, his brother, everybody say his brother. Everybody say it this way, his father's household. When he hears David talking, this is what he says. This is in 1 Samuel 17, 28, 29. Eliab, his older brother, heard David fraternizing with the men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending that scrawny flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat to a bloody battle. What is it with you, David replied? All I did was ask a question. Ignoring his brother, he turned to someone else, asked the same question, and got the same answers before. Everybody say, ignoring his brother. How many of you have had practice ignoring your brother? You got, what I'm saying is this, is that I'm not telling you that you're not supposed to love people around you. I'm telling you that you don't allow them to influence you. That when they spoke to David, when he spoke that to David and began to accuse him and began to yell at him in front of people trying to embarrass him, David shook it off, looked at him and said, man, what is your problem? All I did was ask a question. How come you ain't gone out there and fight him? Don't be getting on to me because I've got more courage than you do. My brother... The same brother that got saved, he and I didn't always see eye to eye. I told him, I said, when I turn 16, I'm going to whip you. He was six years older than I was, so that meant he was 22 at the time. So we got into it one day at the house, and he said, come on, you said when you're 16, you're going to whip me. And I'd, been, I'd had it up to here. I jumped up, went down the hallway after him. He came out of the bedroom with a gun, pointed at me, and shot me. 
I grabbed my chest, fell into the wall when I realized he'd shot a blank. But when I fell into the wall, having grabbed my chest, Daryl started shaking, looking at the gun. He thought he'd accidentally put a real cartridge in it. You can't let those around you intimidate you. At some point, you've got to make up your mind that I'm going to stand up for what I believe no matter what it costs me. I I didn't know. I didn't know it was a blank. And if you knew my brother, you knew it could have been real. (laughs) What I'm saying is this. If you're not careful, you're going to live your life intimidated. And if if you allow the devil to start intimidating you, he will ride you the rest of your life. You've got to make up your mind that you're going to say, look, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. The Scripture has declared that if God be for us, who can be against us? He tells us, he said, I've made you more than a conqueror through him that loved us, that we can, that, that he's trying to cause us to understand that when he's on our side, that is the majority. Everybody say, leaving the Father's house. Even Jesus wrestled with this. Listen to St. John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Do you ever have your own family that didn't believe in you? The people in your own family that just put you down and never encouraged you and always tried to tell you you were never enough. Can I tell you today, I'd like to introduce you to your real father that always thought you were more than enough, that always had a plan for your life, that always had a purpose for you, that when everybody else was pushing you down, he came to lift you up. When you felt like you couldn't go any further, he gave you enough strength to rise back. Even when you didn't recognize he was there, he was showing himself real to you, declaring to you that you'll never, ever walk alone. Turn around and look at your neighbor and say, I am not alone. Look, some of us, some of today, how many, just wave your hand at me if when you were a kid, you were always being put down. Just throw it up. See, see all those hands? You don't realize how many people around you have been pushed down. But the, the reason those hands went up is because there was someone that was on your side that made sure when everybody else was putting you down, he was reaching out to grab you and hold you up. So when you felt like cashing in, he wouldn't let you hit the register. When you felt like giving up, he picked you up. When you feel like walking away, he got in the way and said, wait a minute, this isn't who you are. I've got a purpose and a plan for your 
life, and I'm going to give you an expected end. Everybody say, he's talking about me. He has a purpose for us. If you're going to experience the promise of God, there are old relationships that we have to leave behind. Anyone that's trying to pull you away from doing the will of God or opposes the word of God, you need to separate yourself from. Because if you don't, sooner or later, they're going to separate you from God. Just ask Samson. Samson knew God in a very tangible way. This guy picked up the gates of a city and walked off with them on his shoulders. He swatted a lion down like you'd swat a mosquito. He picked up a jawbone of a donkey and took out a thousand men. And and God showed himself real to Samson. But Samson's downfall came when he was focused on a different relationship other than God. When he got his eyes on the woman, he got in trouble. Now look, there's nothing wrong with women as long as they love God. And girls, there's nothing wrong with guys as long as they love God. So instead of checking out the bicep or the curve, you might ought to check the heart and make sure that they've fallen in love with God before they tell you they're in love with you. I'm talking about you have to leave some things behind. Abraham was instructed to leave his country, his kindred, and his father's household. So when he got ready to leave, what did he do? He took Lot with him. He took part of his father's household. He took his nephew with him. And everything went wrong. Do you ever find yourself where it seems like nothing was going right? And so when nothing's going right, it's a good time to back up and say, let let me take a look and make sure I'm doing what God asked me to do. So when he leaves, the first thing that happens is a famine hits the land. He ends up leaving the land of promise and going to Canaan, or I mean going to Egypt. When he gets to Egypt, he gets in all kinds of trouble because now he's got his wife telling lies and he's, you know, he's telling lies and he's saying, well, it's only a half lie because it was his half-sister. But he had Sarah tell Egypt because she was a beautiful woman. And so he said, look, tell them you're my sister because if you say you're my wife, they're going to kill me so they can have you. And so they tell the lie, Pharaoh treats Abraham good for Sarah's sake, gives him oxes and donkeys and cattle and servants. And then all of a sudden, plagues start hitting Pharaoh's household. Before he could touch Sarah, God touched him. Do you understand that kings would make women go through a six-month purification before they would come to the king and know the king? And so, Sarah, during this purification process, God is hitting Egypt with all kinds of plagues. Must have given Pharaoh a dream because he goes to Abraham and says, why did you lie to me, man? This is your wife. You get your stuff and you get out of here. And he threw him out of the country. So, now he goes back to where he started, back to the place of promise. But things still aren't going right Lot and Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen are constantly fighting. 
And finally, Abraham comes to himself and he says, you know what? Man, I need to do what God asked me to do. I need to leave some things behind. I need to leave my father's house, my kindred. And he looks at Lot and he said, look, he said, I don't want all this arguing. I don't want this quarreling. We're relatives. He said, the land's before us. You choose the right, I'll go to the left. Or if you choose the left, I'll go right. But we can't stay together anymore. And so he did what God asked him to do and listen to what God does once Abraham has done what he was told to do. This is Genesis 13. After Lot had gone, everybody say, after Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, look, as for you, or, or I'm sorry, he said, look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I'm giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. I will give you so many descendants like the dust of the earth that they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. Do you understand today that we are a part of Abraham's promise? The Lord spoke to Abraham and said, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We are blessed because of Christ. And so we walk in that promise, but now God is wanting us to leave some things behind. We have to walk away from the past so we can embrace the future. There's a story of a man, his name, or the, the name of the book was called The Dance of Hope. It was written by Bill Fry. It was a story of a young college student named John that was blind. Bill Fry was tutoring him at the University of Colorado. He asked John one day how he became blind, and John described a tragic accident that stole his sight as a teenager. And he also became very transparent and opened up to Bill, and he said, you know, I I was very angry with God. He said, and I became really bitter. He said, "I, I was making everyone around me miserable. He thought, if I can't be happy, nobody's going to be happy. He said, I, I sat in my room, and he said, I wouldn't do anything for myself. Everybody had to wait on me. I wouldn't leave my room. He said, until one day, my father came into my room, and he looked at me, and he said, John, he said, winter's coming on. He said, and I want these shutters put up over these windows outside. He said, and you better have it done by the time I get home or you've had it. And he slammed the door. John sat there and thought, I can't believe he just said that. I I can't believe that he's telling me, I'm blind, I can't see. And he's telling me that I've got to do this. And he started crying. He got up and started finding his way to the shed. And as he got to the shed, he started feeling for the shutters. And he got the ladder, felt the ladder and got, and he said, well, I'll show them. He said, I'll climb up this ladder and break my neck. I'll teach them a lesson. And so all that day, he's just huffing and puffing and upset. But he put on all the shutters. And when he finished, he realized, I'm not helpless. I've still got purpose. I still can do something. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to the place that you went through something and you felt like you were helpless now and you were hopeless and you just couldn't go on? But now John discovered that I have a 
purpose in my life and I can do it. Something else John discovered. John discovered that his father hadn't went to work that day at all. His father had never been more than four or five feet away from him the entire day. He wasn't about to let his son fall. Oh, you need to hear what I'm saying. God has his eyes on you. You may feel like he's pushing you. You may feel like the things aren't fair, but he's not going to let you fall. He's going to pick you up because he's got a plan for your life. And he's saying it's time to step out and accomplish the plan. Would you stand with me today? It's time to accomplish the plan and the purpose. I'm coming to that. I'm coming to that. Everybody say Willard Walls. Willard Walls was an evangelist when I was a young man. At the age of, I was about 19 years old when he entered my life. And he had a profound impact on me. I, at 19, was in a revival and I'd been fasting and praying because I was always on a roller coaster ride emotionally, up one day and down the next. And I asked God, I'd been praying and fasting and asked God to change me. And I went up in the middle of a revival that he was preaching for us and I said, he said, what do you want? I said, I want a double portion of God's spirit. He looked at me and he said, are you sure? And I said, yes. When he touched me, I hit the floor. And for over a day, I couldn't get my thoughts together. They took me and drove me home that day, that night after service. They said that I kept looking at them and saying, my name is Rick McNeely. I live in Sykeston and I work at Piggly Wiggly. I had my name right. I didn't live in Sykeston anymore and I didn't work at Piggly Wiggly anymore. But I couldn't bring it together. I got in my vehicle and drove back to the pastor's house and didn't remember doing it. They said, I went in and I said, please tell me what happened to me. They would tell me and they said, 10 minutes later, I'd be, please tell me what happened to me. I'm not making something up, folks. I lived through this. They took me and they finally said, would you just go to bed? They called the evangelist up. They, uh, Willard Walls was holding that revival. They called him up and they said, man, what's going on? This boy is out of his mind. And he told them, he said, he's going to be all right. He said, the same thing happened to me once. When I finally came out of that, I was a totally different individual. When I went on the field, things that had happened in his ministry started happening in mine. And so there had been a impartation, if you will. Well, this past week, last Sunday evening, my daughter started feeling like I was supposed to call Willard Walls, but I, I didn't see her. She came to the house Monday, and Monday we had dinner together, and we started talking about Willard Walls and the things that we saw happen and the powerful thing. At least this guy, just to give you a, an idea, he's preaching a tent meeting in St. Louis. They pinned, a, they pinned a note on the tent and said, tomorrow night this tent comes down. The next night they were underneath the tent, the pastor and Brother Walls was on the platform. 
and they saw men gathering underneath the streetlight. There were three or four men that started gathering under streetlight. The pastor looked at Willard Walls and said, what are we going to do? Willard told him, he said, you stay here. God's going to handle this. He got up and he started out under the tent. Men underneath the tent started to go with him. He said, you men stay here. God's going to take care of this. So he went out in the street and he met those men and he looked at them and he said, what are you gentlemen doing out here? What are you guys doing? And they looked at him and they said, preacher, we're getting ready to tear this tent down. He said, no, you're not. He said, those are God's children. You're not going to touch this tent. They moved toward him to get a hold of him. The Spirit of God hit him, and he reached out and tapped them on the head. When he did, they went flying backwards. Those men jumped up and took off running the other direction. Now, I said that to say this. My first encounter with him had been in a service. I had my hands up praying. He came by and touched me, and God is my witness. It felt like somebody picked me up and threw me back. Everybody there that night said, I went flying back. I kept trying to get back up, and God kept pushing me back down. And I finally looked up, and I said, God, I don't know how much more of this I can take. God was showing me how strong he was. At that point with the double portion, I'd been praying. I said, God, I know you're powerful, but I need to know on a personal level how powerful you are. So God showed me. This past Wednesday, I came to, or I was here Tuesday and I got up Wednesday and I had this uncontrollable urge that I was supposed to go find Willard Walls. But I wasn't sure, I didn't know where he lived. I didn't, so I, I looked on Facebook and found that he was in Brookport. And I pulled up a number and an address and I took off and started toward Brookport. I called the telephone, but no one would answer. And I got to the address and I knocked on the door and a gentleman opened the door, but it wasn't Willard Walls. And I said, is Brother Walls here? And he said, no, he doesn't live here anymore. I thought, God, I, I just felt like you told me to come. And then he, I said, do you know where he lives? And he said, yeah, I'll take you there if you'll bring me back. So he got in my car and he took me to where Willard lived and I brought him back. And when I went into the, I went back to the house and knocked on the door, I walked in. Now keep in mind, I was 19 years old when he saw me. I said, do you know who I am? He said, yeah, I know you. He said, he always called me Ricky. He said, you're Ricky. His wife didn't recognize me. When I told her, his, his first wife had died and he'd married again and she hadn't seen me once. And she said, he talks about you all the time. And I sat down with him and I began to share with him what I felt like God had been talking to me about this year. And he nodded his head and he looked at me. And he said, Rick, he said, your ministry is just beginning. He said, the church that you're at now is going to be like a fruitful tree. He said, it's going to grow and it's going to blossom. He said, you're going to see an influx of people like you've never known before. And this is what he spoke to me. He said, and God says, don't be afraid to speak. Don't be afraid to declare what I give you. 
If I'm transparent and if I'm honest, when I first came to the church, I really wrestled because there was so much that I had experienced with God. And I thought, God, I need people to be hungry to receive you. And I've watched God transform us together. And we've grown together and we've experienced him together and we've seen him together. When I got ready to walk away, his wife stopped me and she said, you need to understand something, that this was as much for him as it was for you because he's experienced three strokes over the last few years. He said, I had to quit preaching because I can't keep my thoughts together. I said, Brother Walls, I would love for you to come to the church. I said, you don't have to worry about trying to preach a message. You could just get up and, 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 and greet the congregation and share with them. I said, but I would love for them to meet you because you had such an impact in my life. And he said, I'm going to try my best to get there. I left, and I hadn't been gone five minutes, and my phone rang, and it was him. He said, Rick, he said, I forgot to tell you because it's hard for him to keep his thoughts. He said, Rick, he said, I forgot to tell you. He said, I want to thank you. Three days ago, I started praying and asked God to have you call me. That was on Sunday. This was Wednesday, three days later. I'm telling you that God has a plan for us together. <laughs> this is not a one-man show. This is about what God is getting ready to do in your lives. Everywhere I went on the road, I was sent there to stir up the gift that was in the church. I was sent to this church to stir up the gift that's in these pews. God is going to use you like you've never been used before. However, before we can have the promise, there's some things we have to leave behind. So right now, I want to invite you, if you're here and you say, Rick, I, I haven't walked away from all those things yet, but I'm ready to. I want you to come and stand with me right now. Maybe you're here and you haven't surrendered to God yet, but you sense in your spirit and your heart that you want to. I want to invite you to come and stand with me right now. We're entering a different era. We're entering another season. It's a season of awakening. It's a season of outpour. And it's a season of the miraculous. But for that to happen, we have to surrender who we are. And we have to be willing to walk away from that that we've always known. It's not always easy to walk away, is it? Sometimes, man, it just rips on you and pulls on you. But I want you to hear me. You're not alone. God is saying, I want you to get hold my hand because I'm going to lead you where I want you. 
When I was a little boy, my daddy used to do this. I knew what that meant, get a hold of his hand. We were getting ready to cross an intersection and I needed some help across. I pulled away from him one day. I thought I was old enough to do it on my own and I tripped and I busted my knee wide open. He took me into a restroom, pulled my knee up. It was all bloody. He started cleaning up and he said, it'd just been horrible for you to have to hold on to my hand, wouldn't it? From that moment on, I didn't fight <laughs> that hand. I gladly put mine in it. Hear me, God is extending his hand to us right now. Yes. And he's saying, slip your hand in mine. I've got a place that I want to take you that you've never been before. But for you to get there, you can't get there without me. You're going to have to hang on to me. You're going to have to hold on because I'm going to do a work in you. Are you ready for it? Stretch your hands to heaven with me right now. If I can get a couple ushers to help me out. I want you, all I'm going to do is come by and all, all I'm going to do is touch you. And when I touch you, I want your faith to be in agreement with me. I'm going to come into agreement with you that God is going to do what he's promised in your life. Are you excited? Come on, stretch those hands up to heaven. I'm telling you, you're getting ready to, just come with me guys. You're getting ready to experience God in a way like you've never done it before. Now look, I'm not praying that all I'm doing is coming in agreement with you. Okay? I'm just I'm just trusting God with you right now. So stretch your hands to heaven.
after a strong wind comes through and it rains and everything settles and you step out and there's such a clean smell in the air. God's getting ready to visit you that way. Are you? I thank you for it, Father, and I praise you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. You're in the presence of the Lord. Mercy is calling. There are things that you've asked God for that you haven't seen happen yet. And sometimes you, you, you start to dwell on that. But God, this is what I hear God saying. I'm not going to do everything the way you think that I'm supposed to do it. I'll do it, but it's going to be in a different way than you've supposed. So don't get locked into a certain way of thinking, but keep your eyes open with expectation. I thank you. Mm. Mercy is falling, falling. Is 
Anytime, and I'll, I'll say this now, but I should have said it before. Anytime that we start to move like this, if you need to go, you feel free to go. I understand, but I don't. I don't want to have to break in on something to dismiss you. The other thing is this: is if this is new to you, please understand and hear what I'm going to say. The Bible says that no man can see God and live. So if God touches you, something's going to happen. You may not fall. You may, you may weep. You, you may laugh. You may just begin to tremble. But you're going to sense his presence in a tangible way. Anytime he showed up in Scripture, he showed up in a tangible way. He showed up as fire on the mountain. He showed up as an earthquake and a whirlwind before Elijah. He always shows up in a tangible way because there's none like him. If he can create the heaven and the earth by his word, and he can, then when he touches you, doesn't it only make sense that you're going to experience something when he does? So don't get hung up on the manifestation, on what happens. Just keep your focus on him and you really won't care what's happening. <laughs> Come on, let's give him a hand clap of praise. God bless you. We love you. Mercy.